Impact Leadership Podcast brought to you by Cartavera, a leadership development ecosystem that will help you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. Today's episode is number nine, and our special guest is our good friend, Stan Phelps. Today's episode is titled, Purpose and Passion Pays. Impact ideas to ignite your business purpose to outperform your competition. Stan's going to be talking about how companies today who are built and operated on or for purpose outperform their competition by multiple, sometimes 10 to 12 times. Stan is the author of a book called The Red Goldfish, and he's going to talk about the eight archetypes for purpose that he and his co-author developed in writing that book. He's also going to share with us the new business reality that doing good in business is just plain good business. Get ready for little ideas with big impact as Stan shares with us the ways that you can accelerate and ignite the purpose in your business. podcast where we explore leadership business and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life we're your hosts jeff dishwitz and craig matthews we believe that leaders have to put their people first and if you don't have time to grow your people then you're not leading get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business welcome to your bigger business and bigger life Welcome today. I'm excited to be in studio today with uh, Craig, my partner, as well as our great guest today. Well, hopefully he'll be great. Stan Phelps, <laughs> a good friend and fellow author. Stan is, I've known, I've known Stan a long time. And I'll tell you one thing I remember about when I met Stan, it was the most unusual meeting I've ever had because most people, you say, let's get together for coffee. And Stan said, how about if we go for a hike? And that was our first meeting. We got, went over to a national park um, in the area, the Raleigh area, and went for a walk in the woods and just strolled and chatted. And it was unique. And I, that was very memorable for me. So Stan is a friend. He's a fellow speaker. He's an author. He's a keynote speaker, a workshop guru. And he has, we're going to hear a lot about his range today because it covers a wide spectrum. So welcome, Stan. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, so Stan, this is, uh, you know, give us, give our audience a little bit of the Stan Phelps story. So a couple decades working in, in brand marketing, spent some time, about a decade with uh, Adidas or every, everywhere else in the world, Adidas, some time with the PGA, spent a little time with, with a couple agencies, one being IMG when I started out. And then for almost eight years, I was the chief solutions officer at a experiential marketing agency. And it was there that I saw marketing changing so quickly. And I just knew I was, frankly, part of the problem and set out on a little bit of a journey to, to try to find what I thought could be a game changer going forward in business. And that, that led me on the path about 10 years ago after I had what I call my moment of truth. Well, you said you went on this hunt. I think that was the word you used. And some people go hunt elephants and some call them whales, but you actually went whale hunting and found a goldfish. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. So I, I had this idea and after my moment of truth and the simple realization that there's no such thing as meeting expectations. 
I think it's the biggest myth we make in, in marketing and business. No one ever just simply meets the expectation of a customer or even an employee. And so I started to look for companies that did little things to exceed the expectations, kind of going beyond the transaction, taking it from more of a gift mentality or gift economy approach of doing a little bit extra to honor the relationship. And so I, I wanted a kind of metaphor for little things. And as you mentioned it, Jeff, goldfish is what I, I kind of landed on. And part of that was because at the time when I, about 10 years ago, when I started the project, part of the inspiration was Kimpton Hotels. Hmm. Now, Craig and Jeff, have you guys stayed at a Kimpton before? Nope, not sure. So they absolutely get the guest experience. I mean, there's always gourmet coffee for free in the lobby, fresh fruit. Um, they do wine tasting in the afternoon. You can, they usually let you take bikes if you want to explore the city for free. But my favorite by far is that if you're staying at some of the Kimpton properties and maybe you're getting a little lonely, now, not like Robert Kraft lonely, okay? Let's, like, maybe you're missing your family pet. This is not that kind pet. of show, Stan. <laughs> maybe you're, you're with your family, but you're missing your family pet. This is so cool. Kimpton would give their guests a pet goldfish. Oh. And it was, wow, that's it was, different. Yeah, it was part of a program that they called Guppy Love. I love that as a signature thing that they do. And think about it that no other hotel does that people can't help but talking about their experience. Got so that was part of the reason. But the bigger, I would say, inspiration for me was from my own youth. When I was six years old, my very first pet was a goldfish. Now, I love one of the words that you use to capture this, the essence of that, which is the lanyap. Yeah, so lanyap is an, an amazing word. It's a Creole word. It comes from New Orleans. It literally means the gift. It's French and Spanish, the gift or to give more. Hmm. And so it's, it's been around since the 1840s. And it's this idea if that you're down in New Orleans that it's customary for the business to go beyond the transaction and do a little something extra that's given. Oh my gosh, that is so good for all of us business leaders. Yeah. And so, and so, when I had that realization, I love that word. I came up with this idea of a purple goldfish and purple was an ode to New Orleans huh. and its most famous event. So it wasn't uh, an ode to the purple cow by Seth you know, Godin? You, you know, that is certainly, I think anybody who's a marketer has been um, moved by Seth's work, but really the purple was an ode to Mardi Gras. Oh, okay. Purple's one of three colors of Mardi Gras. Official, Royalty. Official oh. colors. Purple, green, and gold. And they ended up being the first three colors in the series. The purple goldfish, then, that's all about differentiation? So, yeah, purple goldfish is how do you differentiate through the experience that you provide to the customers you serve? And specifically, okay. how do you do little signature things? Mm -hmm. One... They could be little added value that you give, but it also can be little things that you do to make it easier for someone to do business with you. Gotcha. So when we go to the Doubletree, what do you expect? 
The Doubletree was, they're a Hall of Famer. Yeah. The warm chocolate chip cookie. When I go on a trip, I will park my car there and get a ride to the airport. They will still I always just free. I always get a couple cookies on the way. <laughs> it's awesome. Jeff knows this person really well. Jeff Hazlett, another Jeff, not Jeff Nishwitz, mm-hmm. but Jeff, Jeff Nishwitz knows Jeff Hazlett well. Former CMO of Kodak. Great guy. Jeff loves the double tree cookie so much. He says he dreams about it, <laughs> dreams about the cookie when he stays at other hotels. Wow. When he stays at the Ritz. <laughs> so believe it or not, they, they're about to give away their half a billionth cookie. Wow. wow. Yeah, it's become a signature thing that they do. All of the cookies come from Nashville, Tennessee. It's a wow. place that so, are called the Christie Cookie Company. Yeah. That's a great example of a purple goldfish. So you've got a lot of the, you've got a lot of goldfish already in place, right, Stan? So tell us, do a quick rundown on the goldfish and then we'll dive into one of them. Yeah, so the uh, the the first 3 were really the the kind of foundational. So I came as a marketer thinking that the customer was the end all and be all in business. And so m- the entire first book I crowdsourced over a thousand examples, hmm. saw where the patterns were, and it took me 27 months, but the first book came out, uh, essentially 10 ways to win customers and influence word of mouth. Hmm. And what I realized when I studied hundreds of organizations, that the ones that really got this, Craig and Jeff, were the companies that even put more of an emphasis on their own employees over their customers. And so that led me to the green goldfish. And so I Hmm. took the same concept of doing the little extra, but green was really about beyond the dollars that you pay someone. How do you do the little things to drive their engagement and also reinforce the culture within the organization? Oh, that's awesome. I didn't realize that was what the green was about. Hmm. I'm going to have to go pick that up. And then... And then here's the, it's always been a journey of discovery. First, I thought customer is number one. That's, that's where you should put your time and energy. Then I realized, no, no, no. You actually should focus on your employees first and get your culture right. Mm-hmm. And then I really thought, after I wrote those first two books, you should treat all of your customers and all of your employees the same. I no longer believe that. Mm. That led to the third book in the series, which is called The Golden Goldfish. And that's about the idea of your vital few. Mm. So for most organizations, um, 80% of the profitability comes from just 20% of the customers. Right. 80% of the value that's created by an organization comes from just 20% of the employees. Interesting. So not that you treat everyone differently. Um, What I'm saying is you have to understand who your vital few is and treat everyone fairly based upon the value that they create. Yeah, very good. The the really quickly, I'm working on the 10th one right now, but the fourth one was all about technology and the role that that plays, especially in delivering a more personalized and more responsive experience. And then the, the fifth one, which is the red goldfish, was really, I think, a turning point 
in the series. And that was understanding how important purpose is mm, yeah. and how do you specifically bring purpose to life for both your customers and your employees. So important. So that's five. You got, you're up to 10. So what's, what's six, seven, eight, nine, and 10? So six was kind of a return to purple. It was the pink goldfish. I did that with David Rendell. And that was all about differentiating, but more about embracing what makes you weird, weak, or unique and doubling or tripling down on that, or finding things that you can do to be less than normal. So actually doing less in order to stand out. Uh, that was followed by the yellow goldfish, which is all about happiness, and the nine ways that you can contribute to um, more engaged customers, more engaged employees, and even to give back to society. The gray goldfish, was all about um, how do you lead now across five generations? Oh, I thought, I thought you were going to talk about how do you, how do you deal with death? <laughs> That's probably a later goldfish. <laughs> the black goldfish. <laughs> uh, no, that one's already taken. Oh, okay. Uh, so Gray was, you know, Gen Z is just graduating college right now. For the first time, you have five unique yeah. generations in the workforce. Mm -hmm. My father-in-law's going to be 89 next month. He just retired, wow. which means people are spending weight, you know, going into their 70s and 80s and still being engaged and working. So I think today as a leader, you're really challenged to have to manage up and down. I'm a Gen Xer. I'm what's called the sandwich generation. I got two yeah. above me and two mm. below me. Right. And me uh, nine was the diamond goldfish. And how are diamonds created? They're just a piece of coal that did well under pressure. It's the first one in the series about sales and client management, but it's really interesting. It's about uh, leading in, in accordance of what we call the diamond rule and being able to manage yourself under pressure, but also to be able to address the concerns of your prospects and customers to alleviate their pressure. And, wow. and 10 right now will come out on uh, May 5th. It's all about, it's called the silver goldfish. It's all about communication and presentation skills. Hmm. And it's about the idea of coming across five by five, hmm. which is a military term for loud and clear. <laughs> okay. Excellent, excellent. So it's interesting that you, you have this wide range, Stan, and we, I think we mentioned earlier before we got on the air that we recently had Mark LeBlanc on. And Mark, Mark made an interesting com made comment. He, and I think it'll feed into one of the goldfish. We were talking about salespeople, business development people today. And Mark's, Mark's focus is on this idea of just stay in gear, just be in second gear. It's not about doing a lot. It's just doing those little things, but consistently every right. day. And one phrase that he turned for us was he said, you know, these are really simple ideas. And if someone in sales can't do these simple things, they're not passionate. That was the word. He said, they're not passionate. They're just interested. Mm. And I had never thought about that in terms of, because so many people are saying, how do I find my passion and work? And they think it has to be about a different kind of work. And I know some of your work, and I, I don't remember the goldfish book is about the role of purpose and passion 
in your business. Yeah, so that's the red, the red goldfish, the, the fifth one. I did it with Graham Newell. Oh, yeah. Um, and Graham is probably one of the leading experts in the world on kind of emotional marketing. Yeah. Um, he's doing unbelievable work now from a neuro marketing perspective. Awesome. Um, and that was based on this idea of what we, I think we're entering what we call the 4.0, um, the 4.0 version of, of thriving in business. And so really quickly, I'll give you the one, two, and the 3.0, just to give you, I think, where, where we're at. You know, the modern corporation has only been around for about 130 years. Mm-hmm. And so the 1.0 for business, who came first in the 1.0? Who came first in terms of priority? It was the shareholder. I mean, and this, is, this probably led us all the way up to the 1970s. And so the Milton Friedman was probably the, the biggest torchbearer here. You know, the idea, the, the, the sole purpose of any business is to create a return for the shareholder. Right. You know, anything else that you do um, is, is, is not valid. And everything you should do should be about maximizing that return. Mm-hmm. Well, in the 1970s, the 2.0 version was ushered in. And the 2.0 said, you look, you know, profit is important. Look, you can't be in business, right, without profit. But that's not, the, that's not who should come first. That's not the reason why you're in business. The reason why you're in business is to create and keep a customer. And if you do that right, what follows? Profit. Revenue. Profits. Yeah, right. right. You know, Sam Walton, founder of Walmart, he said that there's only one boss, right? And he said, that's the customer. Customer. And they have the ability to fire us each and every day by simply just spending their money elsewhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, the 1990s ushered in the 3.0. And so if the 1.0 is the shareholder and the 2.0 is customer, who came first in the 3.0? Well, I want to say I want to say the team members, the employees. The employees. But I don't know yeah. if that's true. No, 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 no. Uh, well, <laughs> how many companies are actually following three? They really came first. We had a lousy quarter century. <laughs> <laughs> I, I again, I would say starting in the 1990s, Jeff, and I love this saying: the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed, right? Oh yeah, there you go. So, in the 1990s, people, the realization was, hey. We need to actually keep our house in order. And that starts with our employees and putting our employees first. And Lou Gerstner, who was CEO of of IBM, wrote an entire book on this. And I love this. He said he came to learn in his time as, as CEO that culture wasn't just one part of the game. It was the entire game. Yeah. Right? And, and here's the simple realization. You can't have happy, engaged customers. You can't have enthused customers unless you have happy, engaged team members. Amen. So, so Stan, let me, let me ask you a question then. Yeah. We, Craig and I have already done a podcast on this. We'll be doing more of those. It's fascinating you talk about that time frame because in that time frame from the 1990s up to today, that's when they started doing the Gallup poll. Yeah. And for an organ for a nation, at least this country that says people are first, 
that was an epic fail. Yes. If that was really the focus of people first and those are the results of the Gallup poll, that's a that's even a more horrific fail, isn't it? Uh, I I think it's a combination of two things. I think one, expectations for both customers and employees are not linear, right? They they they're constantly going up. So I think our expectations of an employee and what we expect from an organization has has risen dramatically from the Fair days enough. when my dad. My dad moved 20 times in 40 years with his company. And you yep. know why he did it? It's because he was a company man. Yep. And the company came first, right? The family was, was an afterthought almost. Yep. Um, we live in a much different time. So I think, yep. I think the bar has been raised, and I don't think companies have kept up, Jeff. So I think that is part of the reason why that the scores have continued to suffer over the course of time. Well, I think you say the bar has been raised. I would say the bar was lowered because what happened is you started seeing these mass layoffs. And so the people started realizing, oh, I can't depend on this company to be my sugar daddy anymore. I have to take my, my role, my career into my own hands, which means now I'm going to move five times in my career. Yeah, that's probably a valid way of saying it. In the 2010s, what, we call, what do we call that decade? The aughts? <laughs> I don't know, the let's call it the tens because I can't say aught. I think the realization we're on the cusp starting last decade of being in the 4.0. Okay. And the 4.0 is more about putting the purpose of your company at the forefront and okay. first. And imagine it being like a bullseye. Uh, 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 you know, imagine this bullseye. That center bullseye, that red, that core is your purpose. What's the next outer layer? That's your employees. The next outer, outer layer is your customers. And then finally, that, that biggest outer layer, if you're doing this correctly, should be the return that shareholders get. It used to be that companies that tried to do well for society or give back, yeah. a lot of people saw that as, um, you know, essentially like uh, donations, right? Or corporate social responsibility is kind of this feel good. Well, it turns out that companies now that act act from what I call a for purpose mentality, Mm -hmm. right? They're outperforming their competition in some areas by a factor of, of 10 X or 12 X. Yep. And so being good is not just a feel good thing. Being good is actually about, good business. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. The Impact Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Cartavera. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, resources, events, and a community to help you grow. At Cartavera, we believe that you can't grow a business bigger than you, that your company is limited by your growth. We blend personal growth with leadership, team, and business growth to give you a single place to grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. You can find out more at cartavera.com. Welcome back. Well, Stan, I think this is a great topic because a lot of times when this is discussed, I think too often people hear purpose and say, oh, this is when you create that organization that strictly exists for a social, it's a social enterprise. It exists to engage and help some social arena, but you're going way beyond that. You're talking about 
you don't have to change your product or service, but come to it from a place of a deep purpose that around how you serve through those products and services. Right. Absolutely. I, we contend, Graham and I contend in the book that, you know, when I grew up, there were only two types of business. There were for profits and there were nonprofits. It was binary, right? (laughs) Right. You could pursue something that was very much passion oriented and you could live the life of the starving artist, or you could do something that made you a lot of money and profit, but was probably soul crushing. Yeah. Yeah. And here's the thing in the last 10, 15 years, you now have the emergence of the B Corp, right. which is just a certification. But what's more important, in almost 40 states now, you can actually charter your company as what's called a benefit corporation, which is a true B Corp, because essentially when you charter, you're saying we are about X purpose. And you know what? Your shareholders can sue you if you're only chasing the dollars and not living up to that purpose. Interesting. Okay. And so the millennials and the Gen Zs live in this gray area. I believe as we go forward, we will only, we'll again, go back to a binary perspective, but we will only look at companies if they are a not-for-purpose company or they are a for-purpose company. Their tax filing status should, it's not going to even matter. And here's the thing. People want to work for companies that are for purpose, and they want to do business with companies that are for purpose. And that's the game changer. Great so point. Stan, the, yeah, that, so that in, suggests that a lot of that relates, it would seem, to new enterprises. People are creating a new company with, you know, for purpose, a benefit company, but how does this apply, in particular, the red goldfish and the ideas there to an existing company right. that may not be set up that way? You know, what, what, what's, the, what's their takeaway from this? So the, the takeaway, we, so Graham and I studied over 300 companies and specifically how those companies did little things to bring their purpose to life. And what we found, true to your point, Jeff, starting out, it's much easier. Or I would say it's much clearer because even if you're an established company, it may take you a little time to go back to the founder if the founder's still around. But there was a reason. There was a why behind why that company started. Yeah. And so sometimes it can just take a little bit more digging. What we found is that, I mean, I don't want to repeat things that, Simon Sinek has said, I, I think he is so read right. my mind. That's where I was going. Yeah. Yeah. You know, people, he talks about people don't care about what you do. They care more about how you do it, which is the experience. And he says why you do it. And that's at the cusp. We studied 300 companies. What I think the challenge is, is that most companies are like, well, what do I do? I know that that's important, but what do I do with it? <laughs> Hmm. And, and what t- my purpose is not going to be the same type of purpose that this other company is in. Um, so what we did, we studied 300 companies and we tried to find if there were patterns behind what we call archetypes for purpose. And it, and it turns out that there's eight different archetypes. Huh. Um, and so, and specifically what we, what we're hoping in red goldfish is people can see 
which type of archetype that they fit into. And then each of those archetypes have anywhere between 10 to 15 examples of companies that are actually bringing that to life. So you can be inspired. Fantastic. Yeah. So let me, let me give you an example of a company and I'm going to forget the name, but I'll talk about their product and tell me how it fits with the archetypes or it doesn't. Mm -hmm. So years ago, I remember hearing about a company and what they made was they made things for hearts, artificial hearts. Right. And before they really became what I would call purpose driven, they looked at themselves who made piece, they made equipment, they were a manufacturer. Right. Their shift into purpose was connecting the dots between what they created and what the real purpose was. So it wasn't to create a product, it was their tag, not a tagline, it wasn't marketing. It was a very soulful commitment to say, we exist to help people live longer and experience their grandchildren. And it wasn't marketing, it was inside the company. So they kept looking for ways, for example, even up to the reception desk to say, how does she connect the dots to say, every phone call I take in a certain way helps feed this purpose of keeping, allowing people to, you know, be grandparents. Is that an example of shifting within? That is a great example of to be able to connect the employees to the true benefit and reason behind that product. Lisa Earl McLeod, who's done some amazing work, she talks about this idea of noble purpose. And what she's found by studying, especially salespeople, is that the ones that really perform, Jeff, are the ones that are really in touch with what that benefit is to that end customer. Yeah. They outperform their, their competition. Um, so, so really quick, I'll give you the, there's an example of the eight archetypes. It kind of, we set them up kind of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. <laughs> so you have at the bottom, you have what's called the protector. So there's something that that company, it could be environmental, it could be, it could be animal, it could be whatever, but there's something that they feel like they want to protect. So like Ben and Jerry's would be a good example there, uh, Burt's Bees. The second one is called a liberator. And so a liberator is all about freedom. It's doing things differently. So you have um, like Tesla would, Tesla would be a liberator. Uh, Uber would be a liberator. The designer is all about creating revolutionary products. Hmm. And so an example of that would be like an Apple. The fourth one is what's called the guide. And the guide is all about trying to facilitate individual progress, help people along on their journey. And so that's like a Google or it could be like a Khan Academy. The the fifth is what's called the advocate. So the advocate is really about like standing up for a tribe. And so like AARP would be a great advocate type of brand. Panera is all about people with food insecurity. They're an advocate. Uh, The next one up is the challenger. And a challenger brand is all about facilitating individual progress and inspiring people to be a better version of themselves. And so like Nike is a great example of a challenger brand. Hmm. Uh, Next one up is called a unifier. And the unifiers are really trying to set the standard within their category, pull everyone along. Um, so an example of that would be like Whole Foods. Hmm. 
really trying to set the bar for organic and labeling. The last one is, is right at the top. Um, and if you know Maslow, it's all about self-actualization. That one we call the master. And the master is all about changing lives and improving the world through business. And so you have folks like Tom's is, is what we call a master brand. The one we really like is Warby Parker. Yeah. They're really trying to not only help people with the important, how important eye care is, but um, so that, that gives you an example of the eight different types. As I went, went through those, as you think about that, that heart product, Jeff, is there, there one that jumps out to you that might fit in archetype-wise? Um, the, the one that felt was the, what was the one about the protector? Yeah, that, yeah the protector. So it's yeah, protecting like protector. what's important. Yeah. It's, it's this idea of, and, and Jeff touched on this before, is what are the little things that you can do? And you, you can't take a campaign mindset. You know, these are, these are things that you mm. have to do that become core to who you are yeah. and part of what differentiates you. So you can't do it for three months and then give up on it. So it's evergreen. Yeah. You want to pick out things that are going to be symbolic of what your purpose is and helps bring them to life. Great. Um, wow. And that, that's, I think, the challenge for everyone is not only to identify what their purpose is, but not let it just hang on the wall. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Figure out ways that you can bring that to life um, in small ways so it's a constant reminder for both your employees, your customers, and your shareholders. Yeah. So, so Stan, in the spirit of being a challenger, because I love being a challenger, and I think <laughs> as a person and as a coach, that's certainly my role. So I'm going to ask you a, a challenging question here, sort of the closing question. Obviously, there's a lot of moving parts, especially if you're an existing business to do this. And you, you actually talked about a moment ago what not to do. Don't make it a campaign. It cannot be a campaign. It can't be a sprint. It has to be a long-term commitment. So that's what not to do. If you're going to talk, if a company's listening right now, then what's the one starting point for this? Where do they start? I, the one, I think the what's starting, the one big one? Yeah, I think the starting point is to really define what your purpose is and ideally which archetype that you fall into. Mm -hmm. And then I would look to within the organization to try to find a group, call them champions, call them influencers, call them a team, a culture team. But I would bring that group together and start to figure out ways that they can bring it to life. Now, here's the thing. I don't want to say that from a campaign perspective that you, you know, this is, has to be something that you commit to forever. What I tell people is try a lot of little things, but when something sticks, you have to stick to it. Mm. So try a lot of little things, mm. enable your people to go out and do things, but once you know it sticks, commit to it. So I do have a follow-up question, Stan. You, you raised an interesting point. You said, figure out your purpose and figure out your archetype. So here's my question. Question, would you recommend that people focus on purpose and then see which archetype it fits? Or talk, think about what archetype they really want to be 
and then discover the purpose within that archetype. Hmm. I'm a marketer at heart. So one of my favorite sayings is never let the truth get in the way of a good story. <laughs> well, right? That's the story of your life. And, and, but the, the challenge with that, Jeff, is that that can, that can very quickly seem contrived if we try to fit ourselves into the box that we like, as opposed to doing a little bit of the hard work. And in the book, we tell you the steps you have to go through to really define your purpose. Um, but once you do that, then I would look at that through the lens of the archetypes. And here's the thing, just like you guys had said, you're probably going to feel like it's maybe one or two archetypes. I think it's going to give you the ability to figure out which one you want to go into. But I, I wouldn't shortchange and just go to archetypes first. Awesome. Okay. Thank you. Dan, this is fantastic. And it's, it's unique. This is not a typical conversation. And I, <laughs> I really like the different way that you've approached purpose. Yeah. And like, cause first thought for me is I often go to Simon Sinek, start with why fantastic thought leader, but you've gone to a different direction and, and another layer. And I really like that. And I think it's a great, uh, a lot of great teaching pieces for our listeners. Last thing, Jeff, how do you catch a unique goldfish? Unique up on him. Boom. <laughs> Sorry. That was the bus hitting me, not seeing it coming. How do, how do you catch a tame goldfish, Jeff? You swallow it. No. The tame way. <laughs> you sneak up on them too. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> cool. So, Stan, we always close out the podcast with a couple of questions. We call them our, our secret sauce questions. Sure. And so I want to share those with you and hear your um, input for us. So the first one is, what's that one book? And I know you read a lot. You've written a lot of books. The one book you'd recommend for people in terms of well, who want to have more impact on their growth as leaders in whatever capacity? So the book that I, I really I almost recommend this on a daily basis is by Chris Malone and Susan T. Fisk. Uh, it's called the human brand, the human brand. Chris, former CMO of Aramark and choice hotels. Susan is one of the most, the world's most prominent social psychologists. She's at Princeton university. They teamed up. Uh, the human brand is amazing because I think it has applications, both, as a leader, but also as a company. And I'll give you the thumbnail really quick. It turns out that 80% of how we view other people comes down to just two things, and specifically two questions. One, what is the intent of that leader or that company towards me? And two, what's their ability to carry out that intent? Now, can we actually judge what their intention is, or is it the assumed intent? So here's the thing. Our brain has, has developed in a way that it's that feeling that you get is done in a split second, Craig, mm -hmm. and it's a part of your brain that's not even attached to language. And so it's a feeling that you get. So if you break those two questions down, it comes down to just two things, warmth and competence. Yeah. 80% of how we view other people, just those two things. And here's the thing. Do we value warmth or do we value competence? Which one's more important? 
people don't care how much you know until you know how much they care. Warmth is actually the more important thing. So as a leader or as a company, and this is where I love it because it comes back to a lot of the work that I've done, is how are you actually creating the experience that demonstrates that sense of warmth and that sense of competence? Hmm. And so that, that's a, I, I would recommend it. It's called the human brand. It's won some awards. It's now about five years old, but it's timeless. All right. Well, I'm not surprised at this at how many things tie together because one of the comments that Mark LeBlanc made just a couple of days ago was what he, the way he said it, he said he thinks compassion is our next best practice. And that's the piece that certainly ties into creating an experience of warmth versus trying to communicate warmth. And as we talk about people first organizations and when you're taking care of your people, if you show up when, with genuine care and warmth, I think that makes a huge difference. Awesome. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. You could think it competence is more about your IQ. Yeah. That part of warmth is really about your EQ. Oh, yeah. great. Well, right on. I feel good now. <laughs> <laughs> I'd hate to think about those quadrants. I'm going to have to go draw it out and see what I can no, come up it, with. You can matrix it out. And what's brilliant is, and you can actually, if you want to, I'll give a plug. Go to loyaltytest.com. You can answer seven questions about yourself or a brand, and it'll tell you exactly where you fall on the scale. Oh, interesting. Okay. So, Stan, the second question is, uh, what's one, and I emphasize the word one, that big piece of wisdom that you would share with our listeners for things they, stuff for them to think about in terms of having more impact as a leader. I think the one thing that you do if you want to have more impact as a leader is that there is a huge gap between how much leaders think that they're recognizing their people and to the extent that their people realize that they're being recognized. There is a huge gap. Hmm. Um, so the challenge is, I think, for leaders to think about recognition as something that not comes at the end of performance, hmm. right? Yeah. We think usually if this, then that recognition wise. And I think what smart leaders have figured out is that recognition actually fuels performance. Yeah. So what they do is to, to bridge that gap, they're doing it early and they're doing it often. And they're finding little ways to connect with people. And so recognize early and often would be my biggest piece of advice. Uh, I love that. When you're talking about recognizing, is it recognizing little acts of goodness? Is it recognizing just that they are taking on the responsibility? Is it their character? You know, what are those little things that you're seeing people pick up on? Yes, yes, and and yes. All right. Well, so anything you can. <laughs> All right. So the other thing we do, Stan, at the end of every show is give our guests an opportunity to talk about something either they want to promote, highlight, or something near and dear to their heart going on. So what is that for you? So we talked about the Red Goldfish, obviously a huge fan of the book and the really proud of what we did, both Graham and I. This is available on Amazon. I'm actually in the midst right now of day nine of 29 free eBooks. Oh, wow. So Monday through Friday, all the way through almost the end of April, there's one of the books in the series. So a couple days, Red will be available. My hope in, is that at the end of the day, people think more about 
the customers that they have as opposed to chasing the prospects that they want. And my goal is, as a marketer will not be done until companies are at least spending 51% of their time focusing on the customers they have as opposed to chasing the ones that they don't have. Such a good idea. Where would they find you on the web? So all of my books are available just on Amazon. So for the Red Goldfish, you can do print, you can do ebook, and there's also an audio book. It was the okay. first book I ever did an audio book for. And then is your website? DanPhelpsSpeaks.com. Fantastic. Thanks for being with us, Stan. Um, no surprise that you brought, you brought it. Boom, drop the mic. Thank you, Stan. If you like this podcast, you'll love the Cartavera Tribe. The Cartavera Tribe is a community of growth-committed leaders who want to connect, engage, and grow themselves, their people, and their businesses. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, assessments, and events to challenge you and help you grow. And the Cartavera Tribe is a membership like none other. You'll get live access to Craig and Jeff where you can ask questions, as well as masterminds where you can get answers from other leaders who've already solved your greatest challenges. You'll have access to additional interviews and a variety of courses, tools, and resources to help you achieve your biggest goals. We have monthly game days where we have challenges and competitive games to help you grow your leadership capabilities. And you'll get a personal growth Sherpa who will guide you to help you reach your growth goals. To find out more, go to cartavera.com. That's C-A-R-D-I-V-E-R-A.com. See you on the inside. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We, we out. out.